Hi everyone. Today's passage is found in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Mark 2, 1 through 12. Let me read it for us, and I'll pray, and we'll go right into it. Mark 2, verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported. It was it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together, so that there was uh, no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof roof over him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he arose, and immediately he picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. That is God's word. Uh, Please bow your heads with me, and let's pray together. Um, Heavenly Father, uh, we... Thank you for uh, your faithfulness in our lives. Uh, Without your uh, sustaining grace, uh, none of us would be here. And um, you you are such a loving God towards each one of us. You know each one of our stories. And uh, even right now, you are writing your story into each one of our hearts, uh, even as you speak uh, through this passage. So uh, please use this time to mold our hearts, God. And we do pray for SBC and Pastor Lowell and the leadership uh, for the church uh, that you would um, you know, sustain them with your grace as well and um, reveal yourself to them during this time so that they would continue to center their hearts on you alone, uh, even in the midst of uh, logistics and uh, different uh, stresses that uh, may exist. But Lord, again, uh, right now, gather our hearts on your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, just a quick question before we go in uh, to the passage. You know, how do you view relationships with people in your life? Uh, for me, uh, when I was younger, to be really honest, uh, maybe in high school or in, in my early 20s, uh, I think I was, uh, I didn't really take relationships with people that seriously. I think I was very goal-oriented at the time, and uh, and I think I was moving around quite a bit, as some of you know. 
So I think I saw people more as like a background, uh, you know, as me myself is am striving towards my own goals. But as I matured as a believer, however, uh, my outlook on people changed um, because I've, I've learned that through relationships, you know, God, you know, helps me to serve people, and He also uses people in those relationships to grow me. Um, and so that each relationship uh, is crucial, and also um, God uh, taught me to know the joy of uh, knowing people and being known in those relationships. And I can say that you know, I value um, my relationship with each one of you, and, and I know that I'm a better pastor because of each one of you, because I'm growing because of you, and I'm hoping that I'm blessing to you as well. And I'm sharing this because, you know, personal relationships are that important for each one of us. And we are to value them and grow deeper in our relationships. And that is the same for our journey with God, too. It is to be a relationship. I know it's a cliche in many ways, but it is a relationship where we are to grow deeper in knowing God and God or us feeling known and being loved. So that's what we'll see in today's passage, you know, knowing Jesus deeper. That's uh, the title for today's message. And the three points for you to follow along are Jesus sees the desperate faith. And second, Jesus states his authority. And third, Jesus invites people to know him. First, Jesus sees the desperate faith. Verse one and two, it's more of a, uh, setting up of the background or, or the scene for the story. Uh, verse 1 and 2 says, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. So as it always has been um, you know, past, for the past few weeks or so as we studied along in this uh, book of Mark, you know, Jesus is very popular, and you know we're told that uh, the word got around. It seems like Jesus kind of snuck into this home base city called Capernaum, and, the, the, and into the home base house, uh, probably the house of Simon and P, uh, uh, Andrew. Even so, the word got around, and people are just jam packing into the house to the point that it seems like people had to listen to Jesus outside the building and there jesus is you know preaching the word to them because as we saw last week uh, that is the main mission for jesus more than healing more than you know casting out demons uh, it is teaching of the gospel so that's the setup here and now the story starts with the arrival of four friends four men carrying one a man first three and four it says and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, uh, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. It would be helpful for us to understand the architecture uh, of that era uh, in order to understand uh, what's going on here. Uh, I think there are some pictures that I uh, shared on the PowerPoint, but 
uh, at that time, the houses in Israel had flat top roofs, uh, sort of like that. And apparently roofs were you know, multi-purpose outdoor patios, basically, uh, where people would you know, work on things and people even would sleep there because you know, it's a warm climate there. And to the point, next, next slide, there would be you know, stairway leading up to the flat top roofs because people would visit there frequently. And then next slide, the, the roofs were made of tree branches like that and mud as like a glue slash cement. So that's the, uh, the architecture of the house that we encounter in this story. And here, four friends are carrying a man who is a paralytic, meaning a person who is disabled in his legs so that he cannot walk. And they're hoping that Jesus, the, the renowned healer, uh, could heal this friend of theirs. But as we read, uh, the, the house is jam-packed to the, to the doorway. Uh, so the, the friends, we read that they decided to take the stairs, as we saw in the, uh, one of the pictures, up to the roof, and they are uh, you know, trying to make an opening through the roof uh, up to Jesus. And the question is, how do they do that? Uh, because this is not you know, although we saw that it's made of wood and, you know, uh, like mud and clay, uh, but it's not made of Play-Doh. So it's still hard. It's still, you know, made up of proper building materials. Uh, on the one hand, it's not impossible, though, to, to, to make an opening uh, because it's not, you know, made of steel or concrete like a modern materials. But still, you know, this is a hard job. It's a demolition job because... You know, you're dealing with like, you know, uh, dry clay and tree branches. So they probably needed some sort of a tool to, you know, break and make a hole big enough for them to put the friend and the bed through that hole um, up to Jesus. So it's a labor intensive job, uh, to say the least. Uh, besides, uh, doing this must have made a scene, right? Because it must have made a lot of noise. And also, uh, it must have created lots of dust and particles everywhere. So people who are there to listen, try to listen to Jesus, must have given them some you know, mean, not-so-kind looks as they were doing this. And lastly, uh, this is somebody's house, you know, likely Simon's house. It's his property. How would you feel if somebody is making a hole on your roof, right? And they're doing that in front of Peter in front of the, the owners. So they would have to explain themselves to the owners later and may have to you know, pay for the damage they have caused. In other words, these friends are going through lots of trouble uh, in order to get their paralytic friend to Jesus. And, and we see that Jesus notices them, but it doesn't, doesn't seem like he's annoyed or offended by uh, this interruption uh, during his teaching session. Instead, uh, he calls it what it truly is, which is next verse, verse 5. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, uh, meaning that Jesus knew and were pleased by the fact that the friends are doing all these things because they really, from the bottom of their hearts, believed that Jesus was able to heal their friend. And in fact, there is no other way that he's the only hope that their friend has. 
In other words, these friends had a desperate faith. And desperate faith calls for desperate measures. And that's what's happening here. Go to the next slide. Uh, the, the movie Castaway. Uh, just a quick survey here. How many of you have seen the movie? Okay. All right. Only older people. Uh, raise your hands. It's a iconic movie of my generation, I think. Uh, so this movie, so I have to explain what this movie is about. Uh, this movie is about a story about a person who gets stranded in an uninhabited uh, island in South, South Pacific, uh, played by Tom Hanks. And uh, in order to survive, this guy uh, does a lot of unthinkable things. Uh, three things. I, I have some uh, pictures there. It's the first picture there. You see that the... Uh, he had to use the porta potty walls uh, for, as, as a sail for his raft in order to escape the island. And, uh, and he had to do that because that's the best he could find in the island. And next picture, second, uh, during the movie, he gets a cavity uh, on one of his tooth, one of his teeth, and, and he ends up extracting it using a uh, figure skate uh, blade. Uh, again, he couldn't find anything else. So he, he was in a lot of pain, so he did it. And lastly, next picture, and he draws a face on a volleyball, and he names it Wilson, and it becomes his companion, the only companion, and he talks to this friend all throughout his time in, in that exile on the island. So these are crazy things, right? These are, you know, Nuts, like nobody would do this in their normal lives. We understand this because in the limited you know, resources that the, the person had on the island, he had to do these things in order to survive. Otherwise, he would have died. Likewise, when the four friends were trying to help the paralytic, uh, they did some unconventional, even weird and crazy things uh, you know, along the way by which they would have faced, you know, loss of money and losing face, etc. Because they were desperate. They really believed that getting into Jesus was the only way for their friend to have any hope. And now, as we pause, how do we apply this in our lives? I think application goes like this. I would think that most of us in this room, as well as uh, those of you who are joining us through the live stream, you are here because deep inside, you're searching for fulfillment spiritually. You, you, you want some growth and change in your lives spiritually. The question is, how do you grow? And as a Christian and as a pastor, especially for you know many years of ministering to people, I'm convinced that Growth is a miracle. People cannot grow by manufacturing certain practices and things like that because I've seen that they always fail once life gets hard because that was more behavior modification. It wasn't real change in their hearts and in their lives. Change and spiritual growth is a miracle from God. God has to do it. The question is, how can you gain this miracle from God? And I would argue, much the same way 
the four friends gained miracle from Jesus, which is by desperate faith. What does it look like in our lives? It looks like us treating God desperately as the only way that we can grow and experience change in our lives. You know, often we fall short of you know, the, the change and miraculous work of God because we have so many other options in our lives. That is, you know, instead of seeking God desperately for you know, our growth or any fulfillment, we usually turn to our hobbies, you know, other people, or perhaps technology to instantly fulfill you know, our longings. And I'm not saying these are bad things, obviously. They can be used well, but we can easily turn to those options instead of God in desperation. For me, being really honest here, I realized this past week that I'm quite addicted to sweets. You know, full confession here. I was having this strong urge to eat chocolate this one time. And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to resist. And I did it. And then I realized that was one success out of like 100 failures, like past you know, few months or so. Uh, and I realized I always gave myself in to these quick fixes when I could have resisted and used those moments to say in prayer, God, I want to desire you more. I want you to be my fix, my permanent you know, satisfaction, not these instant fixes. Tell me, Lord. It may sound just, you know, to Christianian, like, oh, who does that? But no, you see, little things like that, you know, shows where your heart is at. Like, do you see God as the ultimate solution or do you look to the instant fixes? Is your faith desperate? And will you experience, therefore, the miracle from God, which is, change of your soul and your spiritual lives. Jesus sees the desperate faith. Second point, Jesus states his authority. So now Jesus is about to heal this paralytic friend um, in response to the desperate faith of the friends, but there's a twist. Verse five, it says, uh, and when when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. As opposed to let your legs be healed. That's more logical response, right? But Jesus says your sins are forgiven. Uh, I just want to take some time, first of all, to clarify something here. Uh, This does not necessarily mean that Jesus is saying that this guy's disability was caused by his sin. Uh, Look with me to uh, John Chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, it says, As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the work of God, works of God, might be displayed in him. To be sure, there are instances in the Bible where there's a clear correlation between uh, personal sin and the consequential uh, sickness or you know, disability. Uh, and yet, uh, 
you know, as we see in the, the book of John that we just read, uh, Bible cautions over and over against that automatic, you know, connecting dots between those two points. Meaning that it's not always that your sickness is because of your sin. Rather, the bottom line is that we go through sicknesses and illnesses and disorders because this whole world is infected with sin because of the fall in Genesis 3. And, and that's what's happening in this passage. It's not necessarily because of the paralytic sin. And yet, Jesus still says, your sins are forgiven. And the reason why Jesus refers to his sin as he's healing this guy is because Jesus is the real ultimate need of this guy and everyone, really, which is spiritual healing beyond the physical healing. Just follow with me here. I mean, it would be nice for him or anybody, uh, you know, to experience physical healing, for this guy to have good legs and, you know, walk and finally run and do a lot of normal human being things. It would be nice. But eventually, we have to admit that he will lose strength, you know, in his legs again with age, and he won't be able to walk again, right? That's how life goes. But in contrast with spiritual healing, he will have eternal life. So here, Jesus is offering what's better for this man. But this, of course, causes controversy, so we... We can look at verses, verses 6 and 7. It says, Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Uh, this is a very reasonable response from the scribes who are the experts in God's law. I mean, they clearly see so far that Jesus is a mere human being, and they're hearing him forgiving sins, which is, God's sole prerogative. So they're questioning these things, and that, that's natural. Uh, but verse 8 and 9, we see uh, immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus question within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. So right away, Jesus is reading their minds, which already shows that he's more than mere human being. And then he, Jesus you know, poses a question for the scribes. You know, which one is easier between to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, uh, versus uh, to say to him, uh, just rise and walk, be healed. And the answer to that is that um, it's easy, easier to say your sins are forgiven than the other option because you can say your sins are forgiven to anybody without having to prove it, right? Whereas uh, if you were to say to somebody, be healed, and if there's no healing instantly, then you're questioned and your validity is, is lost. That's why that's a harder option. Uh, and, and here Jesus is saying that because it's harder to demonstrate uh, physical healing, and therefore, if Jesus does make it happen, if, if he does heal the paralytic instantly, that means logically what he said about forgiving sins uh, is true as well. 
he was telling the truth. So now, the story goes on, and we read in verses 11 and 12 that Jesus does heal the paralytic, and therefore, uh, he was found to be telling the truth when he said he, had, he is able to forgive sins for people. And so, now this is the point, verses 10 and 11. That's this, this whole point of why Jesus is saying all these things. So read with me. Verse 10, it says, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Meaning the whole point, whole purpose of this ordeal is that Jesus wanted people to know that he had authority to forgive sins. It's really quick there, the the words, Son of Man, comes from Daniel 7, where there's a prophecy of this messianic figure having all authority, complete authority over all peoples of the earth. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that authority, uh, that prophecy. And the, the word authority is a familiar word, isn't it? For those of us who've been you know, studying these you know, passage, uh, passages in the book of Mark, you know, past few weeks we saw that Jesus had authority in his teaching and also over the spiritual and physical realms demonstrated by his casting out demons and healing physical illnesses. And in today's passage, we get to complete the picture a little further, seeing that Jesus' authority reaches even to salvation. Uh, meaning that, as the scribes speculated, Jesus is God who is able to forgive humanity. Why? Because sin is humanity's rebellion towards God. Meaning that if there to be any forgiveness, it had to be coming from God. And yet, God's forgiveness is not that simple because if God were to forgive freely without any attached strings, then there's no justice. Rebellion and sin means there has to be penalty. But if he just forgives, where's justice? And that's why Jesus had to die on the cross. So that on the cross, there is God's justice and mercy perfectly fulfilled. And therefore now, Jesus truly has the authority to forgive everyone who trusts in him. Meaning that salvation is found in Jesus alone. And that's the point of um, these few verses that we just read. Uh, go to the next slide. I recently read a great article on the Gospel Coalition website named uh, Self-Worship is uh, the World's Fastest Growing Religion. And just a quick summary here. Its main argument is that the core problem of humanity is self-worship, uh, where you know, all the way from Genesis 3, you know, humans have tried to find their worth, meaning, and forgiveness you know, within themselves. You know, we hear phrases like, therefore, you know, follow your heart, right? And also, be true to yourself and forgive yourself. And one of the songs that I used to love, uh, the song by Christina Aguilera, uh, Voice Within, it says, trust the voice within. I'm not going to sing it. Trust the voice within, right? 
That's what she says there. Uh, meaning the whole world operates around this idea of you have to find authority, spiritual authority within yourself. And the article argues that the self-worship makes us miserable because, you know, we're trying to find in ourselves what only God can give, you know, spiritual fulfillment and especially forgiveness from our sins. And the article ends by providing some several uh, scientific data that shows that, you know, those who find awe, and I'll translate that to authority, outside of themselves, tend to show more generosity and care for others, and they have better cognitive ability and, and decline in depression. Meaning, only when our authority in our lives lies outside of ourselves, that's when we can truly experience fulfillment and forgiveness for any wrongs that we have done. And the authority's name is Jesus Christ. That's the point of this story. And I want to ask us, therefore, as we acknowledge this authority, could we truly repent, even right now? If we really acknowledge that our authority lies outside of us and that we have fallen short of the glory of the authority, then we are to come and be awestruck by the holiness of this authority and see our sins. And now, I think a lot of times repentance has a bad rep. It's like just making you feel guilty and bad. But biblical, biblical definition of repentance is all about restoration. Because, you know, confessing your sins is half of it. The other half is the promise that God has forgiven you. And that's my plea as we see the authority in Jesus, as we confess our sins, we experience freedom that we cannot experience if the authority lies within us. So Jesus is the authority. He states the authority to forgive sins. And lastly, Jesus invites people to know him. It's going to be a quick point here. Uh, throughout the story, you know, there is a reverberating echo from Jesus to us, to the readers. Uh, back in verse 5, you know, we saw that Jesus didn't just heal the paralytic, but you know, he unexpectedly added the dimension of forgiving sins. We just saw that. And then that caused tension and doubts and discomfort in the hearts of the scribes, meaning their, their theological framework was shattered and disturbed by what Jesus said. Uh, and then Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes further by bringing out these private thoughts that scribes had out into the open, and Jesus answers these questions publicly. You see, Jesus seems to be intentionally making a scene here, intentionally bringing these things up because he wants people to know him. He wants people to you know, go beyond seeing him as a miracle wonder worker, but that he is God. He is authority to forgive sins. He wants us to go deeper. In verse 12, uh, it says, And he arose, and the, the paralytic arose, and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, 
We never saw anything like this. Uh, please notice there the words uh, all repeated twice, meaning that you know, the scribes and the crowd alike, they were all amazed. You know, regardless of their background, they were amazed by this new dimension of who Jesus is. That is what Jesus desires. You know, wherever we are coming from, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, Jesus wants to draw you, draw us closer to him so that we go beyond the surface and know more of him. Uh, if you go to the next slide, uh, about four years ago, or, or a little longer than that, uh, Deb and I took a trip to Grand Canyon. Uh, it's not the picture that we took, but I found it on Google, just to be clear. Um, and we spent you know, a few days there, uh, just hiking in different trails. It was awesome. And one of the first trails that we hiked on was called the, the Bright Angel Trail. And, and because you know, it was one of the first trails, we're just we're so pumped up. We're like, okay, we got, we got this. We're going to conquer Great Canyon. That was our you know, ambition there. Uh, and then and for this trail, you know, as we're climbing down, it's kind of hard to see there, uh, but I put a circle there. So we saw that point, like the, the, the edge of the cliff, where the, the road was ending. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I didn't do that. Yeah, I was black, but made it into red. Great job. So, so that's, we saw that, right? And we're like, man, we got this. We're going to go all the way there and then come back in one day, right? And then, so we're like just, you know, having a lot of fun and like, also something about Grand Canyon, hiking in Grand Canyon is that because of the elevation change, as you go down, like the, the vegetation and the, you know, the nature scene is so different. Uh, it's just so gorgeous. So we're, we're loving it. But then halfway down, I think, uh, or wherever it was, I think it was like four, four hours, four hours, five hours passed, you know, and we looked at the map. And we found out to our dismay that we're only, you know, halfway to that point. So it's been five hours, right? And that sun was, you know, setting soon. So we're like, dang it, we have to go back. Otherwise, we're going to be stranded, you know, in Grand Canyon. And people actually die there, like, literally, because of lack of, you know, X, Y, and Z. So we went back and... Um, I don't know if I should spare you the details, but, you know, it's really rigorous, you know, because, like, going down is easier, but then going up is, like, really, you know, brutal. So we ended up, like, puking, and it was just, like, so rigorous. Uh, I was really so exhausted. And then we're thinking, like, man, the Grand Canyon is really grand because, you know, we're just so exhausted, and, like, we did all we could to conquer that one point, and that's not even, like, maybe, like, tenth of the, the height uh, from the bottom of the canyon, right? Or more, maybe uh, 120th, maybe. Uh, but we're just so exhausted. There's much more for us to see in that, you know, Grand Canyon. And I'm sharing that because if we felt so helpless and hopeless in front of the Grand Canyon, how much more in front of the great God, of the grand God of the universe? I mean, we may think that we know God based on our elementary knowledge and experience in our, you know, 20 or 30 years of our lives. But we would just be 
scratching the surface. Just like you know, me and Deb did with the Grand Canyon. We're just scratching the surface of the knowledge of God. God, the depth of God's knowledge is much deeper than the valleys of Grand Canyon. It goes beyond the universe. That's the infinite depth of knowledge of God. And God is inviting us to come deeper, go deeper, and know more of Him. And what's interesting is that just like He did with the scribes, He will create some tension in our lives. He will create some situations and disorientation in our lives so that we question, so that we realize that there's more to know about Jesus. And our horizon would be broadened through that. And I think one of the best ways uh, to apply this, to grow in our knowledge of God, to me, is asking questions. Um, you know, again, when the scribes ask the questions, uh, you know, just responds by asking you know, why they're asking these questions, right? I, I think some of us might think that is a sign that you know they were they were offending Jesus when they asked the question, but in fact, I don't think that's the case because at that time, the rabbis, Jewish rabbis, would uh, ask a question, and the, another rabbi would respond by a question. So that was their practice. And also throughout the gospel stories, you know, we constantly see Jesus you know, inviting questions, inviting people, asking him, you know, expressing different doubts that they had. And, and you know, besides in our story, because of the scribes' questions, uh, you know, they were able to know more of Jesus, and we see, him, we see the scribes worshiping God in the end. So questions are good things that we are to, um, you know, not stop asking. Because questions, you know, keep us from being comfortable uh, at, you know, where we are, the little that we know of God. And it really pushes us to know God deeper. And let me give you one caution as you question uh, in your journey with God. Uh, we should try to avoid cynicism, though, when we ask questions. On the one hand, cynicism is natural, especially for those of us who are still seeking you know, the truth of Christianity. You know, you're not Christian yet, perhaps. Um, so, you know, you're basically putting God on trial when you are, you know, cynical. And I think that's okay initially because God can handle it. I believe that. And I know a lot of people who ask those tough questions, harsh questions in their journey, and they became Christians. Uh, and yet... You know, we should eventually grow out of, you know, cynical attitude uh, because just naturally, you know, do we like friends who are cynical uh, towards us? You know, when we're trying to build a relationship with somebody, if that somebody constantly, you know, brings up argument, constantly, you know, attack you, uh, would the relationship grow? Same thing with God. Once you pass that point of, you know, answering the fundamental questions, the attitude should be that you, know, you ask tough questions in order to get to know God more and deepen the relationship rather than just be cynical and you know, put God on trial. And that's my encouragement because our goal is relationship with God. Our goal is not just to accumulate knowledge or you know, have our curiosity fulfilled. We want to know God better and love Him better and be known by him better, 
and be loved by him in a deeper way. And may that be our journey as we continue on together. Let's pray together. Let's pray together before we uh, finish with a song. Uh, and the truth is that God uh, wants and desires us to know Him better. I think that's a very clear point in this passage. He's not a God who just wants you know, subjugation out of us. Again, I think the word authority can be a very tough pill to swallow for you know, many of us, if not all of us. Uh, but the authority that Jesus displays is the one that benefits us, is the one that would deepen our love relationship with God. And that's who God is. And we need to get it right. I think for, for a lot of people, their spiritual lives stagnate because of the misunderstanding they have towards God. And, and cynicism is a natural symptom of that. But if you really know God, not know about God, but know God, you see His goodness, the depth of the knowledge of Him that goes beyond the Grand Canyon of the universe. Oh, may we get to know Him. Because if we know Him, if He is our all, if He is our authority as opposed to you know, our little selves, that's when we'll truly start experiencing His joy. Could we pray a little bit uh, before we sing the song and uh, sing to God together, who is real, who is here with us, and who is grand. Let's pray together. Um, before I finish in prayer, uh, why don't we just pray together just one thing, that we humbly come before God and ask God to increase our faith, uh, that it will be more desperate for Him. And, and to me, that's one glorious aspect of our faith, which is that even our faith um, can be brought up to God. That is not under our control. I mean, for sure, it is our volition to believe and do things. Um, but being helpless human beings, I myself uh, find myself many times uh, unable to believe, unable to act on my faith. That's the weakness that I witness every single day. But the hope of the gospel is that Jesus enables us to ask Him, cry out to Him, increase my faith, Lord. We are helpless apart from You. Apart from You, we can do nothing. Lord, I need You. Every hour I need You. Oh, may we experience God even in that helplessness and weakness that we feel about our faith. Because God can handle our weaknesses. Can we do that? I'll just ask God to increase our faith uh, and 
Our close friends in prayer. Heavenly Father, um, God, we confess, uh, I confess uh, before you that my view of you uh, is so narrow many times when I should be uh, dreaming big and trusting that you will do mighty things. I'm just so zoned in on to uh, what I am not capable of. And that way, I, I limit you in many ways, God. So all throughout the Lord, may you broaden the faith of our church, broaden the faith of each one of us, um, that we come before you desperately, trusting that you can do uh, immeasurable things, unthinkable things, for your kingdom to uh, dawn in our hearts, in our lives, God. And may you uh, especially uh, encourage those who are discouraged in this room, in their walk with you. God, you know where they are. And may you um, you uh, reveal yourself to them in in new ways, a new dimension of who you are. So they experience you and get to uh, experience their faith growing through that as well. But all in all, um, help us to rely on what you are doing, your miracle in our lives, as opposed to uh, the simple emotion, um, just the, the shallow um, you know, feelings here and there, because you are uh, still working, even when we don't feel it. Thank you, Lord, uh, for your faithfulness. Thank you that the gospel does not depend on our performance, our good days and bad days, but it depends on you, what your son did for us. Thank you, Lord. We trust you alone. We rest in you. And we start our week in the place of the gospel. Thank you, Lord. 